Hello and welcome to this week's Therapy For Me and I'm back sat in the garden. It's a little later this week than last week but it's a beautiful morning. There is literally not, there's not a cloud in the sky. It's just sort of coming up to eight o'clock. Uh, and I've just taken a picture of my apple tree and I don't know why I took a picture of my apple tree but I just thought I would. Um, so I'll post that on Instagram for absolutely no reason and with no context. Uh, which is kind of my Instagram account. If you follow it, you'll realise that. Um, and then we'll crack on with this week's episode. So let's let's have a bit of that twangy guitar. <laughs> It's one of those weeks where I've either got nothing or I've got loads, so it, this could last 10 minutes or it could last 25, mainly because if it lasts 25, I've got myself quite excited and worked up about various political things, and if it lasts 10, it's because I'm talking about the rest of my week and the rest of my week has kind of got nothing. Uh, and the reason for that is that I've, I'm getting involved in, uh, kind of with my day job, I'm involved in doing an event uh, in Birmingham next week. We're trying to get um, music brands um, to interact with music education and it's proving to be hard work and it's proving to be hard work because the company that were helping us with this and are supposed to be getting the um, the educators into the building have basically left it far too late to market the event and it's really really frustrating and I don't want to get into that too much um, but that's kind of been my week in terms of work and what it's meant is I've ended up working more hours than I would normally work which means I've not been noticing or experiencing stuff because I've had my head down um, so in that respect it's kind of a difficult one this week in terms of I mean what I have done is I've watched I've watched uh, quite a few films so to take myself away from the fact that I wasn't making much progress and I couldn't make much progress with what I was doing. Pretty much every day I've sat down and I've watched a film. Um, same sort of time, sort of back end of the afternoon, uh, just as kind of frustration hit. And while you might think, well, that's terrible, you're skiving. My, my day job is, is, is three days a week. Um, so I've, I've got my three day a week bit and then I've got my podcast bit and that makes up my kind of weird kind of uh, working life now. Um, so, so I, I do have the flexibility to, you know, to do things like that, which, which is, which is really, really nice. And consequently, I think I've, I think I've watched, it might have been five films I've watched this week. Um, and I'm going to come to that in one of the other, one, one of the other bits, actually. Um, though while we're on the subject of the films I've watched, I watched one on, uh, called The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix, which got Christian Bale and a really good cast of UK actors. Um, and it's a kind of a, a you know, around an incident that happened um, at the um, West Point Military Academy, and it involves Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe, and, it, and it's good. It's, it's worth watching. It's very atmospheric, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. So I wanted to shout that out at some point. I told you it was going to be random today. Um, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But in terms of framing the week, uh, and, and this is a perfect example of, of me having spoken for however long now, uh, about essentially about nothing, about the fact I've had a kind of a weird working week, but that's that's the essence of what today's about because it's either a thing that's going on that I'm stealing on to talk about, 
or it's that frustrated kind of week with a lot of head scratching and we've gone around in a lot of circles to end up pretty much at the same point at the end of the week than I was at the start, which I guess is lots of people's weeks. It's just I don't tend to have as many of those anymore. So so it's been, yeah, just a, just a bit odd, really. Tuesday. You may not have heard of something called the USO. And I became alerted to the USO about three or four months ago um, because I was in a meeting with um, the trade body who look after um, the greetings card um, part of, the, of retail, the Greeting Card Association. And they were talking about the USO because it is becoming a problem for their business. Now, the USO is, is the universal service obligation. And it's the thing that essentially binds Royal Mail to the services they have to offer. Under the USO, not only do they have to provide affordable mail uh, services, so the ability to you know, send a letter for a reasonable cost to anywhere in the country, they also have to provide for deliveries, uh, so for uh, first class next day delivery, uh, for second class delivery, and also for delivery six days a week. And what's happening is that Royal Mail are kind of, kind of by the back door trying to get out of this. So they're lobbying extensively to change that model because they see the future in, as in parcels. That's where they think they can have a, a, a you know, a, a USP moving forward in their ability to handle small parcels very, very effectively. And it's obvious how we've arrived at that situation. But what they're, what they're wanting to do is to stop delivering um, on a Saturday in terms of mail. Um, get that down to five days and they seem to be kind of prioritizing parcels at certain points of the year so if there is a backlog of parcels then they will they will um, effectively prioritize parcels over letters and what's happening is that it's starting to really affect service so studies that have been done data that's been collected is showing that the number of first class uh, letters that arrive next day is down in the low 70s whereas it should be in the mid 90s that's what the you know that's what the target number is i think it's about 94 i think i'm not quite sure um the only reason i mention this is because it's been bubbling along for a while and you can understand why the greetings card association would be really really um interested in this because if you stop deliveries of of uh, mail on a saturday you devastate you know, nearly 20% of, of greeting card deliveries, possibly more if you think about those those occasions that happen on a Saturday and a Sunday. Uh, people will look for alternative methods. Um, so yes, you would hope that people would do it early, but the, you know, but the fact that I send cards late is is the norm. Everybody sends cards late. That's just what, that's just what happens apparently. Um, so if you change that model, and of course, if you start by getting rid of Saturday, how long before you get rid of Monday? And then suddenly, what happens when we have a mail service that only delivers on, you know, three or four days a week? What's driving it, obviously, is the complete lack of commercial mail that's going. Um, and that's, and, and, and obviously, yes, household mail has decreased as well, but it's the commercial mail that's really, really been part of the, uh, part of the change. Um, when, when there was an open debate on this um, within the, this trade association group, it it was a weird one because I, I felt quite annoyed about it and thought, well, I think that's terrible. That's a real 
that's a real you know move backwards in the way that not having as many post street uh, post office on the high street or as many banks on the on the high street is a real move backwards but then you start to think about how it actually affects your life and you kind of go well yeah, but I don't use it very often, and I'm, and I'm very rarely reliant on mail appearing at my door at a specific time. Uh, I can't think of many thing, times when I've actually been expecting a piece of mail, and the only time I worry about sending something is a greetings card. So it's a, it's a. I mean, what's prompted this is it was a, it was all over the Sunday Times, and so it just popped into my head that it's, it's, it's carting to something that was being talked about five or six months ago in a kind of a niche setting is now popping through into the you know into the normal kind of and we will have a debate about it i think there was a debate in parliament about the uso and that it shouldn't be changed back in january but this is start of a process that's only going to there's going to be more pressure from the royal mail and then we probably will find ourselves in a situation where we, there's no such thing as a saturday delivery fairly shortly but the crazy thing is the same postman will probably be out on a saturday delivering parcels <laughs> Wednesday. I want to mention a quick politics thing which I'm not going to dwell on. I should dwell on it. It's massive, but I'm not going to dwell on it. And I will link two things here. One, the information that's come out today and one that happened earlier in the week. Information that's come out today is that the number of people who couldn't vote because they didn't have ID is a proper number. It's in the tens of thousands which makes it a proper number. It might make it a very small percentage, but it makes it a proper number. It doesn't mean that democracy is broken, and I'm not suggesting it does mean democracy is broken, but it also suggests that the fact that the instances of electoral fraud that the bill of voter ID is meant to stop were in the threes and fours, or certainly under 10, and yet actually we've denied thousands of people the opportunity to vote this time round to, to stop a problem that didn't exist. So we'll, that's the first bit. But the second bit of that, and again, I'm going to make this quick, is that Rhys Mogg came out this week and said that was clearly an act of gerrymandering. That was something to disrupt the system that the Tories thought would work in their favour. Now, he was bemoaning the fact that he think it might have worked against them, but it doesn't matter who it worked for or who it worked against. We have paid very little heed this week to a politician saying we were trying to in some way shape or form influence in the voting system and of course you could argue that is done week in you know not week in week out he's done election in election out because they changed the boundaries and actually that's absolutely worked here because they've changed the boundaries of my constituency to make it easier for a conservative mp to get in next time round because this is a swing seat so we know that happens which, by the way, we should have a real problem with that. Why do we need to change voting boundaries? There's absolutely no legitimate reason for it. You only do it to influence swing seats. So we should have a problem with that, and we really, really should have a problem with somebody who was in the cabinet at the time saying this was an attempt to influence the spread of votes in the favour of the governing party. And that is a huge, huge concern. <laughs> Of the films I watched this week, one of them was a film I'd seen before um, called The Equalizer with Denzel Washington, which is a remake of the um, the TV show that Edward Woodward used to star in in the 80s, 90s, probably 90s, I'm not quite sure. Um, and, and I can watch Denzel Washington in pretty much anything, 
Um, you know, he, everything he makes is is, is of a standard, uh, and he's he's very easy to he's very easy to watch. It's a very violent film, um, but but it was it was certainly you know. He, he, in the, with the week I've had, it was an easy thing to put on a watch. One of the things that's interesting is that um, you know it's one of those films where you try and they try and build a narrative around an extremely violent character, um, and you know so you have this juxtaposition of you know of of a, a trained killer in one breath, and then somebody in another breath who's who's calm and thoughtful and reflective and all of those kind of things. And one of the things he does through the film is he's working his way through the hundred books that you must read before you die. And that that got me on to thinking, oh, well, is this a definitive list? So I went searching. And of course, it will have started as a definitive list from some somewhere. But I went searching and found that, in, in essence, all I could find was I couldn't find any kind of one place that said, oh, the original list was here. Um, but we've got our own version, and of course, what happened is that loads and loads of institutions have canvassed their their you know their customers and have got their own versions of this. So the, the, there's a Waterstones one and a Penguin one and a da 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 da, -da one and, and a Richard and Judy one or whatever it might be. Um, so you've got all of these versions essentially of this hundred books to read before you die list, and I read a few of them um, in terms of the the list, not the books, and I was. I was not particularly surprised at how few of these books I've actually read. Um, but it left me with two questions. So the first question is, one, does anybody know what the original list is? Where did this stem from? Where did it come from? Because I imagine if it stemmed in the, you know, in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or whatever it might be, that list probably was a far more single piece of work and didn't change, um, you know, rather than where we are now, which seems to be lots and lots of versions of the same list, all a little bit different. And then the other thing that I found a little bit weird was, depending on where you went and which list you looked at, um, depended on what was in it. So there's a lot of new books in there, um, which is all fine. Some of them I'm not convinced I would consider to be on that list. I mean, Gone Girl was on one of the lists, and I've read Gone Girl, and it's fine. And I, you know, it's a it's a it's a perfectly readable thing. And I actually thought it was quite I thought it was quite interesting. But I don't know if I'd put it in my hundred books of, you know, my hundred books list. Um, but that same list had either f four or five of the Harry Potters, and I absolutely wouldn't have any of those in my list. Now, I have a, I can't get into the Harry Potter books at all, which m means that I'm going to alienate probably 75% of the people listening to this, but I just can't do them. I've never been able to do them. I've tried, I've tried two or three times, I just don't get it, um, you know, and I'm, and I'm not, and I've never, I've never got the Harry Potter thing. Um, I know that's also wrong because I get the Star Wars thing. So before you tell me, yes, but how can you say this about one thing and not about the other? I'm not disagreeing with you. I just don't get the Harry Potter thing. But at the same time, I also don't understand how Harry Potter becomes 4% of a list of 100 books you must read before you die. Um, that really makes no sense to me, you know, whatsoever. So... If you can, if you do know, if there is any way you can point me towards, um, and, and I'm not planning on doing one of those things where I start at one and I think, right, I'm going to read these. But it'd be interesting to see where this, where this came from and how many of those. I mean, some of them I will have read. You know, I've perhaps read a tenth of it. 
probably may be thinking about the kind of books that I imagine will be on there. You know, Great Gatsby will be on there and Catcher in the Rye will be on there and To Killing Mockingbird will be on there. And, you know, you go through and a load of those books will, you know, 1984 will be on there or Animal Farm will be on there or, you know, and, and, and so, so there'll be an, an element of them, Dracula will be on there. And anyway, you're getting the point that, that probably by default I will have read, you know, a dozen maybe, but I'm sure I haven't read the remaining 85%. So, um, and yes, I do know that if I read a dozen, there's more than 85% left. I'm just using it as an example. So, if you can do that, I would be I would be intrigued. Friday. Immigration is going to rear its head again as a topic. Um, and the only reason it's going to rear its head again as a topic is because it looks like we could have um, a million plus people who migrated to the UK in the space of a calendar year. Um, and what's interesting about this is this is not a legal immigration. This is, this is effectively legal migration. So going through the legal safe and legal routes that are open at the moment and by the way there aren't very many of them so we're talking about ukraine and we're talking about hong kong and we're talking about probably afghanistan i'm not sure but certainly not many legal routes and we are talking about students in this we have got to the stage where we're up to nearly a million now to contextualize that figure because obviously one of rishi's pledges is small boats to contextualise that figure, the small boats issue is about 45,000. So less than 5% of the potential total of migration into the country is what is classed as illegal migration, i.e. through non-legal routes. Um, and 95% of it is legal migration, i.e. people who applied, were accepted, came in. The problem for the government is that figure, that figure that David Cameron talked about of migration in the tens of thousands, that wasn't illegal that was just migration. That was the big number. So the big number is a million, or is going to likely to hit a million, and yet the number that was pitched for, and um, that appalling character that is Suella Braverman uh, mentioned it again this week, she wants to get back to a target of tens of thousands. So you can see the problem there. You can see where the issue is here. Now, this becomes a huge issue if it becomes talked about for uh, the Conservative Party at the moment, because Brexit was supposed to stop this. If you believe, if you're a voter who thought that Brexit was about immigration, then Brexit was supposed to stop this. And to a certain extent it has, because EU-based migration has massively fallen. It's harder to get here for the, from the EU now, there's no freedom of movement, so therefore that number has dropped massively. But it has just been replaced. And of course, the, the, the major problem, well, I'm going to talk about it all being problems. A large number of these people are either coming to study, which is one of the areas where, as a country, we've always wanted to bring people in. We've always wanted to get, because we have world-class education establishments, so you've got study. And how do you discourage that? No idea. Do you want to? No idea. But then the second thing is that a large number of people are coming over to work because we have shortages since Brexit in loads of, in loads of sectors and we need people to come and do things that EU uh, nationals used to come and do for three or four months in a year. So all the obvious things, all the things that were talked about post the referendum vote but before we actually left the EU are coming, obviously coming, coming true. But at some point, 
the, the, the elephant in the room, the thing they're keeping quiet is this, this, this group of a million. And, and I guess what they're trying to do is, is point over there at the illegal, at the boats, stop the boats and talk about that. But that's less than 5% of what the migration figure is. Now, look, as a person, I've always been in favour of migration. It's good for the economy. There's a net benefit. We, we know the country is a net beneficiary through migration economically. So I have no problem with it. And if, and if you turn around and say, well, yes, but what about resources? Well, then build more houses. Build more communities, build more resources. It's as simple as that. You are earning more money from um, people being here to study or work. So just put the stuff in place that we need. And let's get past this thing of the fact that we're just not building any houses. Though, or we're not building any infrastructure. All I'm saying now is watch this space. Because I think over the course of the next year, this becomes an issue. And I'm not convinced that the, the sleight of hand, the stop the boat sleight of hand to, you know, the, the dead cat, illegal migration story isn't is, is going to cut it necessarily this time anyway anyway bit of a rant to finish feel feel quite a bit better for that um i hope you hope you're well I hope those of you who are coming to leicester for the marillion weekend next week are really looking forward to it i know i am um there, there's a there's a purple picnic which if you're not a Marillion fan will mean nothing to you but if you are you you get exactly what that's going to be uh, on the sunday which i'm looking forward uh, to 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 getting to and catching up with everybody and maybe seeing if i can sneak a cheeky volive on and outside of that i will wish you a very good weekend because if the weather carries on the way it is you just should be somewhere sat in a chair with a sun on your face some form of beverage just taking a moment and share as you see fit. This has been an A Short Stories production.